0: Genesis chapter 3. Now the snake was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the snake, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. You must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the snake said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree from which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman you put here with me She gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The snake deceived me, and I ate. So the Lord God said to the snake, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. To the woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. To Adam he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for John. And we pray a fresh anointing of your spirit on him now as He opens your word to us in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Amen. Good morning, everyone. That's an uplifting passage for us. Um, a, a, a passage which I'm sure you are uh, familiar with, and'll have heard um, a number of times. And of course, for those of us that are new, the shocking nature of it um, hits us between the eyes. Um, Some of you will know that I was a head of year before coming to, a school teacher, head of year before coming to um, ordained ministry. And uh, I was head of year seven, uh, and we followed them up. Year seven is the first year in in senior school, and, and you followed them up through the year. So you'd be the head of year for five years. And as the head of year seven, I had to do transition work. And transition is moving them from primary school to secondary school. So we would visit, along with a couple of mentors, primary schools to see these terrified students, these terrified young people, um, petrified of what was going to happen to them when they got to senior school. And as a way of helping them kind of think about that journey we asked them to undertake a piece of work. And the piece of work was called Looking Back and Looking Forward. Some of you, if you've had children, may have done so, you know, they may have done something similar. And I want to frame this talk very much in the sense of looking back. But not that we're stuck, but that we would look forward. But we do need to look back. And the first bit of looking back we're going to do is look back at what Roy uh, shared with us last week. We are God-breathed beings. We have a longing for God, which we sometimes misplace. And with this, we understand that through the fall, we have several losses. We lose our identity as God's creation, our conversation with the one who understood us, our trust in God, the loving creator, our sense of our own destiny, our delight in divine companionship and Roy helpfully in his sermon notes for this sermon quotes uh, C.S. Lewis who says once people stop believing in God the problem is not that they will believe in nothing rather that they will believe in anything. When we lose God we try and create our own A passage from Isaiah 44 says they know nothing, they understand nothing, their eyes are plastered over so they cannot see, their minds closed so they cannot understand, no one stops to think, no one has the knowledge or understanding. And this net result of pursuing God for me rather than God for God, this net result of pursuing God for me rather than God for God is lost. We lose things and I'm going to define this understanding of loss as alienation or separation and I'm going to propose that there are four ways in which we understand this alienation. I know that's a big word for this early on a Sunday but you know work with me people and, um, and then what I'm going to do is provide a hope for us some helpful thoughts around an antidote to that to those different types of alienation. I'm gonna suggest the first way in which we experience alienation from God is we choose to be far from him. Where are you? We heard in our passage, verse nine says this, but the Lord God called to the man, where are you? And I think there's the echo of that question down through the ages. What God is saying is, Adam, you are no longer fully available to me. There is alienation from each other. We collude with one another into sin. We experience the blame game, verse 12 and 13. The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? We point the finger, we blame, and in turn, of course, the woman blames the serpent. So we're alienated from God, alienated from each other. We are alienated from creation. Verse 17, to Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate the fruit which, um, about from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Creation then becomes not a place of rest, but a place of work. Alienation from self, my fourth idea of alienation, we do not know ourselves or what we want. In our attempt to know God, we try and become like him. We find ourselves restless, uncertain of who we are in an uncertain world. When the woman saw, I wonder if someone could give that gentleman a little nudge. Would that be all right? I just, um, you know, just to sort of bring him into the presence of joy that we're experiencing right now. That'd be great. Um, Alienation from self. We do not know ourselves or what we want. In our attempt to know God, we try and become like Him. We find ourselves restless. And in verse six, it says, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. In C.S. Lewis's writings, there's a lot of talk about the dialectic of desire. We hunger after something. We grasp something. And when we've got it, it satisfies us in the short term but then we want something else. And anyone with children or grandchildren when it comes to Christmas and they grab their present and they're so delighted and they've waited with eager anticipation for it, are overjoyed by it for all of 24 hours. And if you've not experienced that, I'd love some parenting tips from you. But you understand this grasping nature of us. We are alienated from ourselves as we do not know what we want. It's not my aim to make you thoroughly miserable, by the way. It is my aim to look back so that we can look forward. The antidote to alienation from God is finding God. So where and how do we find him? At the 10.30 service last week, and I asked Jill's permission to share this, uh, she gave a testimony, Uh, Jill Calder, I don't know if some of you know her, but she gave this testimony, which I'm not gonna share the entirety of, but at the end of it, she said this. We felt God had spoken to her. She said, I chose to see God speaking to me through this. I'm gonna repeat that again. I chose to, to see God speaking to me through this. And what might look like a circumstantial thing to other people was the fact that she had chosen to see God work through this particular situation. The poet Elizabeth Barrett Browning writes this, Earth is crammed with heaven. And every common bush afire with God. But only he who sees, he or she who sees, takes off his shoes. The rest sit round and pluck blackberries. Are we noticing God? There's a great song that we're singing at the moment called Waymaker. And there's this line in the bridge that says, even when I don't feel it, you are working. Even when I don't see you, you are working. Talking about God's work, we are not automatically uh, primed to notice it, but we know he is there with us. So the antidote to alienation from God is finding God. The antidote to alienation from each other is friendship with one another. These are suggestions, by the way, not definitive ideas. Justin Welby, writing about how he did his New Year's message, and I don't know if any of you picked up on it, but he said this, we rightly think of lifeboat crews as heroic, although they may be embarrassed to hear that. Yet every time we reach out and connect with someone, it is an act of heroism. Don't underestimate it. It could be someone you know. It could be someone you've always wanted to connect with but never had, never have. It could be someone you really disagree with. And he encourages us to let's go for a heroic New Year's resolution. Let's resolve to reconnect, to reach out to just one person we don't know or from one we have drifted apart. Pick one person. Pick up the phone, send them a text, meet them for a cup of tea. Make that connection. Let's begin cementing our unity one brick at a time. Who are the people that we might have lost contact with? Who are the people that we might think that we want to reconnect with? Who are the people, as Roy mentioned earlier about the Alpha Course, the people that we really want to know to come to know Jesus? And through Jesus, we understand what friendship is. Whose friends deserted him in his hour of need. He knew what it was like to feel lonely, to be without friends. But we also believe in a Jesus who calls us friends. And the farewell discourses in John, he uses that term a lot. You're my friends. The antidote to alienation from creation is to favor creation. There's a community starting, a New St. Nick's community starting with an ecological focus and care for the planet. Through Jesus, we understand that Jesus is part of the creative process from the start, part of the perfect trinity And part of why I wanted us to sing Jesus is Lord, creation's voice proclaims it is Jesus is Lord over all creation. But he's also a creative God that gives us the gift of creativity. If this were a pub quiz style sermon, I might ask you the question of when does the spirit fall on someone for the first time in the Bible? I'm not going to ask you, I, you know, don't panic. I won't put anybody on the spot. I would draw you to Bezalel in Exodus 31, that well-known character. Bezalel has the Spirit of God poured out on him so that he can design the Ark of the Covenant. And there's this, you know, he's given this particular gift. with, And he's an expert in cutting stones and making something beautiful. I'm not just talking, when I talk about caring for creation, about washing out baked bean tints and sending them to the recycling plant, although that is important. (laughs) I'm saying that actually there is this sense of this innate creativity within us and we need to work with it. And finally, the antidote to alienation from self. We understand that we are God-imaged. The ultimate God-image is Jesus. So an antidote to alienation from self is to focus on Jesus. Through Jesus, we discover our real self. We turn to the one who knows us intimately. We turn to the one who has suffered as we have. I'm about to quote from Hebrews, which I did my dissertation on, and there's 15,000 words that I wrote on it. Some of them actually made sense. Um, But one of my favorite passages is Hebrews 4.15, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. We are drawn to Jesus, are we not? Because in order to know what God is like, as I'm sure many of you will have heard before, we look to Jesus. And to quote quote a dear friend and brother and a resident theologian, Reverend G. Frank, I thought I'd make him sound, that sounds good, doesn't it? I think he should write a book or something, a pamphlet maybe, um, something. Through Jesus, God has found us. Through Jesus, God has found us. This is good news. This is how we can live the life in terms of Christian spirituality. We look to Jesus. Of course, spiritual disciplines are great, but not a prescriptive list of them that we have to toil at and fast more and read our Bible more and write more, although those things, like most things, in moderation are good for us but I'm suggesting to us that we need to work to find God, develop friendships, favoring creation, and focusing on Jesus, and let the Spirit guide us as we live Jesus-centered lives. And if, like me, you've experienced that restlessness, I'm drawn to that well-known quote from St. Augustine, because you have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless, till they find their rest in thee. I used to be a worship leader, Uh, I suppose I am a worship leader of sorts still, but in terms of sung worship, Um, picture me with a guitar in hand and a band behind me. And um, one song which we would have sung is by a a guy called Andy Park. We don't sing it anymore. Um, Some might put it in the category of cheesy Christian chorus now. So I wasn't brave enough to suggest that we sing it this morning. But the lyric goes like this. No one but you, Lord, can satisfy this longing in my heart. Nothing I do, Lord, can take the place of drawing near to you. The chorus says, only you can fill my deepest longing. Only you can breathe in me new life. Only you can fill my heart with laughter. And only you can answer my heart's cry. And because I like to do thorough research, I found a blog post from the author of that song. When I wrote Only You, I had been in full-time ministry for about three years. I was putting a lot of pressure on myself to perform as a pastor and worship leader and to earn my keep as a young staff member. But I found that no matter how hard I worked, there was always more I could have done. Only you expresses the truth I was learning at that time. Significance is found in knowing God, not in pleasing people. Significance is found in knowing God, not in pleasing people. And he goes on to say that um, he was impacted when he said that an Australian woman who he'd met um, said that she was in a particularly dark passage of her life and so she wrote out those words and she pinned them to her fridge and she sang the song over and over again helping her to come through this dark season of life because we are a people that believe that no one but our God can satisfy the longing in our heart. And only He can fill our deepest longing. Only He can breathe in us new life. Only He can fill our heart with laughter. And only He can answer our heart's cry. Let's pray together. Father God, we hunger for you. Father God, we long for you. Father God, as we rest here in your presence, help us to understand truly that only you can satisfy our deepest longing and our deepest needs. We thank you for you're a God who draws near through your son, Jesus. We praise you for your salvation work. Go on teaching us, I pray, what it means to hunger after you.